Blog Talk Radio. to the January 24th, 2014 edition of Don't Let It Go Unheard, where we discuss news, politics, and culture from the perspective of Ayn Rand's philosophy, the philosophy that upholds the right to the pursuit of your own individual happiness, which the framers of our country's founding documents intended for us to have. I'm your host, Amy Peikoff, and joining me here in the studio, as usual, is cartoonist Bosch Boston. Say hello, Bosch. Hello, everyone. Hello, everybody. Today, we are not talking about abortion. Abortion. What is that? What's abortion? I don't know. Wednesday was this March for Life, and yeah. every single politician that gives me any hope for the saving of this country yeah. went on and on and on about abortion. But did you know that me, you, and all Americans have murdered uh, 55 million children? Did you know that or no? Oh, yeah. Murdered yeah. Uh, 55 million children. I mean, here, here's why I don't want to talk about abortion. I'm going to say like a couple things. One is... We're in the 21st century, and so I agree with Tammy Bruce, maybe with a little bit of of one proviso, which is that if you are aborting a healthy baby in the 21st century, you've probably done something wrong, (laughs) you know? Um, And then if you are aborting an unhealthy baby really, really late in the term, you've, you know, maybe in the third trimester or something, you've probably also done something wrong. Abortion should just be a marginal issue, but it is something that I believe women should have a right to have. I'm all for people out there educating. I'm for people, if they want to go ahead and promote adoption instead of abortion in certain cases. But I think that it is a medical procedure that we need to have access to. But it needs to be used wisely, like everything else. I believe in using any medical procedure only when it serves your own rational self-interest and it cannot possibly serve your own rational self-interest to just irresponsibly get pregnant and then go have a surgical procedure to correct it. That's garbage, right? Um, You know, obviously mistakes happen. Okay. That's fine. But there are different ways that you can very easily avoid uh, something like so that later. we're still not talking about abortion, though. But we're still, we're yeah, still yeah, yeah. not. Yeah, but I just, I, I just think it should be a marginal issue, and yeah. I don't think that people should talk about it so much. And I certainly hate the fact that this issue is what predominantly, along with some issues about gay marriage and things like yep. this, which pro- not as much, but this issue predominantly is the one that divides me, you know, divides me and politicians that I otherwise yeah. respect. And they but all also, went on and on about this. So I just tried to ignore Twitter feeds and Facebook. I just didn't thing. even want to hear about we it. Also, a Boehner, a Cantor, these real status hacks, these Republicans, they will, they will be against gay marriage and, and against abortion and for statism. I mean, whereas the other guys are against the statism, but, but for this, which is part of it. I mean, it's just, it's, anyway, I, I have this one question to ask out there to people who do support, well, actually, who do um, um, don't support abortion who are against it who think it's actual murder 
Now, I think you have to be careful, right? Because it's not that I support abortion. Of course, I'm sorry. I, I support having an ac- access to abortion. Right. I like, am hoping that nobody that I ever know ever has to have an abortion. The, How unpleasant. Absolutely. Anyway, no doubt. I don't think anyone has an abortion and gets off on it. I think <laughs> they feel sad, and they're like, damn. I, I, and some of them probably think I effed up. Some of them actually mourn it. But whatever. It's an individual case. It's an individual human being who has a choice to make, and they make that choice or don't. That's up to them. And the, uh, the statist-minded conservatives and Republicans want to change that. They want to force a woman to keep a baby she does not want to have, which is evil. But I asked this one question. I said, conservatives who feel abortion is, quote-unquote, murder, would you support incarceration and execution of abortion doctors and their pregnant, quote-unquote, accomplices? And one of them actually said, well, if it was uh, against the law, then yes, you know, as in it was sanctified because it was. Yeah, so this, anyway, this, this is why enough. We we're done. This is why. All done. No more. It's, it's almost just, I don't know, it's boring to, to get to this, but I do like to tweak out there because Drudge made it a big issue the other day, and I tweeted out there a few things and got a whole conversation going. I mean, a really heated, ugly conversation going. Yeah, so we don't want to talk about it anymore, so we're, we're done. Um, you guys all know that we're pro-choice, so we'll just leave it at that and go on. One last thing. The pro-lifers, what's the implication of me and you? And what are we? Yeah, we're, anti-life. we're anti-lifers. Yeah, we're anti-life, you know. There's pro-life, there's anti-life. Anyway, we're not going to talk about abortion today. We're not going to talk about it. We Stop will it. not. Stop it. It's over. So now I'm going to talk about my cold. Yes. <laughs> That's a great topic. Yeah. I would say my cold. Uh, am I allowed to eradicate my cold, or is cold a cold like part of human exactly. life? Exactly. Right? Exactly. Okay. No, no. What are you uh, anti-life? <laughs> You're anti-cold. You want to get rid of your cold? You want to abort your your cold? You know, this is terrible. This is probably the worst that I've had it while I've ever gone on the air. And I'm thinking, Bosch, that you might actually have to get a box of Kleenex and bring sure. it in here. How horrible is that? How horrible is that? Thank you for going to grab that. So. We've got a few things to talk about today by way of fun program announcements. First of all, we're going to have Rudu Basu from the Ayn Rand Institute as an interview halfway through the show today. She's going to talk about a new report that she just wrote up that was just published, and it is about the state of the healthcare industry prior to Obamacare. Right. A lot of people think, oh, the state of the healthcare industry prior to Obamacare is bad because it was Free. It was unregulated. Government wasn't involved. Government just needs to come in and control and tweak and tell everybody what to do, point guns around, and everything will be better. Yeah. And Medicare she, Medicaid was a step towards this, towards Obamacare. I mean, that's what it was. Right, right. And she's going to tell us concretely yeah. why that wasn't true, why that the ills of the healthcare industry were caused by government intervention. So we'll get to hear from her. I'm, I'm looking forward to that. And uh, we're also going to play some clips that Bosch is trying desperately to bring up on his phone. You think you got it? Okay, you do got it. That's awesome. So we're going to talk about that. Alex Epstein was on Stossel, and he did a really nice job. Very nice for three minutes. I mean, he really said a lot. Well, I saw him, I think, last week on Fox and Friends. And And Fox and Friends, I admire him more for almost, although I think he had to travel across the country to go on Stossel. But I think Fox and Friends, he had to go get in a studio up in Los Angeles or something. And you know what? They're on at 7 in the morning East Coast time. So imagine you're on 4 in the morning your time and you're doing a heroic job and and thinking on your feet very well, which he did. So that's awesome to see. But let's let's, uh, go ahead and talk a little bit. I, I couldn't resist doing this. You know, we guest hosted on Tammy Bruce's show the other day and we let off talking about food. There were some food stories. One, Tammy 
has a researcher by the name of Shifra who sends you a bunch of links. And Shifra had sent me a story about bacon, how the price of bacon had gone up, not because of government regulation, which is what you would think, but just because of demand. And I thought this was a healthy sign about the country. Similarly, demand for butter has gone up recently. The consumption of butter has gone up. Of course, I consume half the butter in Orange County, I think, by myself now because I put it in coffee and it's super yummy. But how, how about the one thing about food where Christy wants to what? Chris Christy wants to what with food? With... Oh, he wants to have uh, the schools in New Jersey serve dinner. Yeah, dinner. Yeah, but, but I wasn't going to talk about that. No, yeah, but you just brought, brought up food. That's why. <laughs> and Chris Christie again, if anyone doesn't get it, a.k.a. eater eating. You know, Robert asks, uh, how can you have a cold while doing Whole30, Amy? I mean, how? Oh, gosh. You're not allowed to have a cold while doing Whole30? <laughs> is that really true? All I understood is that if you get a cold, it's not supposed to be as bad, but this is probably... By the way, we survived Whole30 pretty damn good. Well, we're not done. I know, but I'm One saying week. so far, it's been, it's been great. The last two weeks in particular have been pretty easy. Yeah, the only thing is that I have lost weight. I've lost weight too. But I, I wasn't pounds? trying to lose weight. So. I think nine pounds, and uh, I feel great. I'm thinking you could, I could not possibly ever be overweight on a Whole30 diet. I'm figuring that out because I am. I think actually right now I weigh less than I ever have at my full height in my entire <laughs> life, which is kind of scary. It's like, okay, I think we need to, to stop this. When now. I used to smoke, I, I weighed, uh, man, what, 20, 20 pounds less than I do now, if not, if not 30. Unbelievable. Yeah, I think that's why people are scared to give up smoking because they're afraid they're going to balloon into bigness. But this is another good sign. Besides the fact that the demand for bacon has gone up, mm. the demand for butter has gone up. <laughs> Headline on Dredge today, McDonald's fighting to be relevant hmm. to customers, the CEO concedes, okay? And what are they doing? It says McDonald's is losing customers as the world's biggest hamburger chain struggles to attract diners with its higher price sandwiches and new offerings like Mighty Wings. What's so Mighty they, Wings? Like Buffalo Wings type pro, thing? Yeah, okay. sounds like it. Sounds like it. You know, I'll, I'll no doubt. Yeah. <laughs> it's Whole30. They're, they're probably covered in sugar. And yeah, pro- we, we really found out that a lot of the good tasting meats have a ton of sugar in them. It's funny. Well, the cured meats yeah. do, definitely. Right. It's very, very difficult to have a, a good-tasting cured meat or even uncured meat that doesn't have any sugar in it if it's processed at all. But here's the thing, right? So here's McDonald's. They, they're struggling to become relevant, to, to remain relevant. They're introducing all kinds of different things in their menu to try to attract right. people. And apparently what they've done by complexifying their menu mm. is made it harder for their kitchens to turn out the food That's fast enough. Right. So people are, th- this is supposed to be fast food. Mm. So they're doing entirely the wrong thing. And, and I think part of it is because they have this idea that they're going to try to do healthier Everything. stuff. Yeah, they can try to do, you know, fast crap food and healthy food. And they have to stick to who they are. They, they really do. I mean, they can have maybe something, but I think they have a number of dishes that they deem to be healthy. I would they say really they need to have a good lettuce wrap burger. Yeah, exactly. A right? good lettuce, a good wrap, lettuce exactly. wrap burger. Exactly. Not, not a white lettuce cardboard. You know, a good lettuce. A good lettuce wrap burger. Get rid of that the bun that's full of sugar. And have a, a good burger also without all that crap that, that he put in. Apparently all the they soil, put soy. Yeah. There's soy in their burgers. That's what I heard. I don't I mean, know. I, I, love, I love McDonald's as a kid. I, I love the taste of McDonald's. Just can't go. I mean, just Only as a kid? Yeah. Well, as an adult, too. <laughs> okay. 
But when I say as a kid, it, it, it got in your head really, really quick, you know? So that, that smell with the onions chopped, I mean, it's just it's a great, great smell. This article over at CBS Local Chicago says that after outperforming rivals for years, McDonald's Corporation is facing a shift in eating habits towards foods people feel are fresher or healthier. Says the company has added the following options to attract this, right? Chicken wraps and breakfast sandwiches made with egg whites. Yeah. Now, I figure egg whites is about the worst thing you can have in the entire world because the yolks are the healthiest part. Right, right, and right. chicken wrap, okay, well, chicken's okay, but you're wrapping it in some sort of right. gluten-filled tortilla, whatever, and, and you're, you know, talking in uh, as healthy food. I used to have egg whites with uh, toast, uh, with uh, wheat toast bread, no butter. That that was considered healthy years ago. It still is now, probably, for some, but it was, it was terrible. I can't believe... That you lived off that kind Terrible. of stuff. I actually tried to be vegetarian for a while, and I gained so much weight; it was the heaviest that I ever was that in my life. Funny. Yeah, huh. yeah. It just it just doesn't work at all. Doesn't work at all. So, what is their say? You know, their answer. Their answer is that they're going to be bringing in somebody new to work on marketing, right? Like who? Michelle Obama? No. Mm-hmm. I'm trying to think who it is. Some government hack. Let me let me see if I can find who it was that they're going to go ahead and bring in. Elliot brings up here is true. They they've been uh, attacked for decades because they're monstrously successful, incredibly successful, and it's a great thing to have if you're on the road and you want to pop in and get a burger, and fries, and and a coke, whatever, just to hold off for a number of hours until you get to your de- destination. That's what's for, and it's great at it. I actually prefer Carl's if you're going to do that myself. I like the guacamole saying, bacon the, $6 The whole principle burger. of fast mm, food, mm. it's excellent not to abuse it, but to have it at your, you know, have it available if you right. need it quick. So this is their answer. What they're going to do is it says they're going to expand their prep ta- uh, tables, beef up their staff during peak hours so that they can execute better. It says they're bringing in a new U.S. marketing chief, Deborah Wall, formerly with home builder Pulte Group, and automakers Chrysler and Ford, i.e. somebody who doesn't know food. Yes. <laughs> I think what they got to do is they got to go talk to the whole 30 people and bring them in yes. and start putting options on the menu that are truly more healthy. Get that egg white crap off the menu yeah. and come in with some stuff that's grain-free. Well, they could have good stuff they could. And, and quick. And how about... How about sweet potato fries? Absolutely. Cooked in coconut oil. Yes, absolutely right. Why not? With just a burger itself with some lettuce or whatever. I mean, it's just, it's it's good. Elliot is crying in the chat room <laughs> over here at Blog Talk Radio. Now, yeah, because they don't have Carl in east, Orlando. It's called something else. Yeah, back east it's called Hardee's. 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 Do you have Hardee's, And uh, they're very good, but very sloppy burgers, but they're, they're really good. I mean, really good. There was one recently in uh, a crumbled blue cheese and bacon, really, really good stuff. <sighs> yeah, the one that has crumbled blue cheese, though, they put too spicy a yeah. buffalo sauce on it. Yeah. So that was kind of the Yeah, so I think it's good. It's a good sign about the country that McDonald's is struggling. I remember reading a story, and we talked about it on the show, where a lot of fast food restaurants where uh, the demand was going up mm-hmm. under Obama. Why? Because they cheap. offer cheap food. Right. And what is true, if people have been doing the Whole30 with me, they know to buy good food is not super cheap. No. 
And you really got to do homework out there also. You got to read every little ingredient. You really, really do. Yeah. You start to, to get the hang of it, but it's, it's a process. So if you're working two jobs or three yeah. jobs, three part-time jobs in order to make ends meet, and you don't have a lot of money, so you have no time, no money, you're going to go hit the fast food restaurants. Yeah. So I would say the fact that McDonald's, I mean, again, it might just be due to the fact that they're needlessly complexifying their menu and therefore they're not able to keep up with the demand. Right. But they, maybe they need to automate more and at the same time call in those Whole30 people. The first fast food restaurant that can actually Absolutely. give you semi-paleo compliant stuff. Truly oh healthy, gosh. quick, good food. That's, oh yeah. I would love to see Me, you. McPaleo's. <laughs> McPaleo's. That's so original. What? That's so original. McPaleo. Oh, my gosh. Do, if you want to talk about any of the stories today, chime in over at the chat room at Blog Talk Radio, or you can call in 760-888-5817. 760-888-5817. Yeah, Freedom Breeze in the chat room over here says, more real protein, but it is getting more expensive for them. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Uh, Elliot says, replace all the employees yeah. demanding $15 an hour with automated robots yeah. and watch That's output funny. explode. Yeah, I mean, why not put more people on the food prep line yeah. and fewer sitting there at the cash registers, which Absolutely doesn't need right. to happen. How many times, I mean, when we used to do, remember we used to have fast food, Bosh, yeah. sometimes? Yeah. And No, but take, they take their sweet time. Well, not only do they take their time, they would get the orders wrong. Might. If you were punching it in on the computer yourself, Absolutely, you the get chance right. for mistakes would likely go down. I yes. mean, it depends on the ease of use of the They try to be clear, but sometimes yeah. some of them don't speak English well. They don't. And it's like, damn, I mean, don't, can't you hire someone who actually speaks English? That would help. It would definitely help. <laughs> and, and, and who could read. Yeah, it, it's the literacy that is the biggest problem in the I, world. I think so. Definitely. So another link that you saw over my blog at DontLetItGo.com of non-abortion topics that we're talking uh-huh. about today one of them is Edward Snowden's Q&A that he did yesterday. There's a website called freesnowden.is, and I have the link to the Q&A, the full Q&A So you aborted the topic of abortion off your show. Go on. Go on. <laughs> but we're not talking about that. So I watched this yesterday, and it was so funny. You know, I submitted a couple questions, but tons and tons and tons of people submitted questions, which I thought was a really good sign. Claims. Someone in the chat room says, yeah, we're, we're going back to food for a second because nothing one in the chat room. Hello, welcome. You are a newbie here. Uh, says, how confident are you of claims that fries cooked in coconut oil are good for you? I wish I knew more about what was healthy eating and what wasn't. As far, all, yeah. as far as I know. First of all, the sweet potato you mentioned. Yeah, the, the, sweet, the sweet potato is better in terms of glycemic yes. index. So there's that. So it would have to be sweet potato. And then in terms of cooking in coconut oil, versus the other types of oils that there are out there. Coconut oil has a higher smoke point so that if you are cooking at high temperatures in the coconut oil, it is supposed to give off fewer, maybe none, I don't know, toxins uh, when you're cooking in that. So you can cook in coconut oil. You can cook in clarified butter. I'm assuming that coconut oil would be cheaper than clarified butter. Isn't it true that movie theaters were using coconut oil to make popcorn? Maybe. And then somebody got all upset. They said, oh, it's going to cause too high cholesterol or something. Something stupid. When actually it's wrong. It's medium chain triglycerides or whatever. There's, yeah, go read the Whole30 sites. Go read Sison, S-I-S-S-O-N. I I don't know if that's how you pronounce his name. That's how I, having taken (laughs) French, 
would pronounce it. Uh, Mark, Mark Sassani has got Mark's Daily Apple. Read them on oils, what oils are healthful and what oils are not, Sorry particularly for cooking, but that's really what you do. Anyway, let's go back to Snowden. So he does this live Q&A, and the way it works is you submit questions via Twitter, and then they choose from the ones you know that are, they have the appropriate tag, Ask Snowden on Twitter, and then they pick the different questions, and he, I guess, typed out answers, and they went ahead and published it on this blog link that you saw. And again, it's over at my blog at don'tletitgo.com. You can find the links to everything we're talking about today. But what Snowden did is he asked, you know, answered question after question. He had scheduled to do it for only an hour, and he actually stayed for about two hours, which I thought was pretty cool. The, the frustrating thing was that the pace was pretty slow. Yeah. It was, and slow. I don't know if it was slow. I mean, who knows how they pull this off. He's in Russia hiding out, afraid for his life, yeah. and somehow somebody is giving him questions and he's giving answers. Yeah. It might be over the phone by dictation. It might be that there's, you know, he's able to look at Twitter. I doubt he's able to look at Twitter, but maybe somebody's able to show him Twitter. And then he goes ahead and types out answers. I noticed that the answers earlier in the Q&A had fewer typos or errors. There were a few typos and errors. Generally, this guy's very smart, very literate, very technical. Uh, there's a couple things that I find are interesting that I want to talk about further. And a big issue that I've seen, I, I saw this, there was the, what do you call it, the keynote address that Glenn Greenwald gave at one of these high-tech conferences in Europe and it was a link that was posted to my blog by a listener by the name of Craig. And I went ahead and watched this keynote by Greenwald. I like Greenwald overall. Some things where we disagree. But a theme that was brought up there and that has been brought up repeatedly in different contexts related to Snowden and the NSA is that, well, the government's not protecting us now. And so what we have to do is we have to rely on technology to protect our privacy. That's what we got to do now. And... I'm skeptical of this, right? I mean, I'm certainly skeptical of this as a long-term solution. I don't know if it should be our whole focus. I think the focus should be on getting legal reform going in this area. And I think some things are looking more promising in that area. But, you know, when you say, okay, I, you know, I mean, I'm ambivalent, right? Because on the one hand, for instance, you know, I have a link at my blog right now you can see. It's for the Dark Male Initiative, the Dark Mail Initiative is a new project started by the founder of LavaBit. You remember we've talked about LavaBit. LavaBit was Edward Snowden's email service provider, and it was headed by a guy named Ladar Levison. And he is actually going to be a guest on this show, I'm pretty excited to say, in a couple weeks. I'm going to interview him on the 7th of February. That's what it's scheduled. It's not 100% confirmed yet, but once it is, I'll be sending links out. You're mentioning his elsewhere, Yeah, we'll, we'll, okay. we'll, talk, we'll talk more about he, he's, it's worth he He's worth talking to from a lot of aspects. He's been influenced by Ayn Rand and stuff like that. But he is in, you know, involved in this dark male initiative. And what they want to do is they want to offer what they call end-to-end -end encryption of email such that there is no back door that the government can get into. Basically, there's not going to be the ability to even collect significant metadata about this. Apparently, all you could see on their model is the length of a message. You're not going to be able to see when it was sent, who sent it, um, 
you know, the the origination and the destination. You're not going to be able to see these, the IP addresses and all that. All this is going to be encrypted. How they do it, I don't know. I'll leave him to explain it. And as a matter of fact, when I went to the Kickstarter, I linked to the Kickstarter on my blog. When I went to that Kickstarter to read about it, it's a bunch of techno babble for me, most of it. I don't understand. What I do, I mean, you know, you could think about things in terms of conceptually how it might have to work, but he was really putting the technical lingo in there. And conceptually, you think, okay, well, the encryption has to occur within your computer. It's going to be encrypted. And then when you send it out, it's already encrypted. And the interesting concept to me is, remember, I'm this person who is into this third-party doctrine, right? Third-party doctrine, you share anything with a third party, Facebook, Gmail, Skype, whoever, you share that with them, that information with them, information that they collect as part of their normal business practices, and that Internet service provider, Verizon, Facebook, whoever, they can turn it over to the government without violating the Fourth Amendment, even though there's no search warrant, no probable cause, no particularized suspicion. So what you want to do is you want to make sure today that you're turning over as little to a third party, quote unquote, as possible. So I assume that the goal of this program, this dark mail initiative, would be that you are never giving any information over to your email service provider, that all of that stuff is encrypted, all the metadata, as much as metadata as possible, is itself encrypted, and then somehow it gets to the other place. I'm not sure technically how they pull that off. And I was I was starting to think, you know, how could the encryption occur on your computer in such a way that your email service provider wouldn't be capable of decrypting it? Well, maybe the encryption would have to depend on a certain passcode being inherently part of the encryption. And then maybe you'd have to give that passcode to the recipient of the email as well. And how would that work? How would you get the passcode to that person without the government finding out? And oh my God. So anyway, my mind is just going all over the place. But I, in a way, it would be really be great to provide an email service such that you're not sharing this information with a third party so that even if our politicians totally flake and our judges totally flake and they don't get rid of this third-party doctrine like they should, you can legally keep this information private. That would be truly wonderful. And they're talking about making this technology for all platforms, whether you're a Windows user or a Mac aficionado like I am, whether you like your iOS device or other types of handheld devices, their goal is to give you email that is user-friendly and completely private, which I'm intrigued by. So you think, you know, is their goal to never have anybody be able to be forced to give information over to the government? I don't think that's right. So these are the kind of things I'm interested to talk about with those people because I think, yeah, if you have a warrant based on probable cause and particularized suspicion, get that information. You're entitled to that information. So it'll it'll be fun to talk right. about it. But, you know, on the one hand, you think, okay, well, it's so cynical. Let's keep pushing for reform. But on the other hand, you say, well, what, what's wrong with having a virtual Galt's Gulch, in right. effect, at right. this point, given that we disagree with the law that would make it so that your stuff is not private? So do both, you know. And uh, they're fight, not fight. making any changes. Republicans haven't pressured them, haven't 
forced him to stop. Well, that's the thing. I have a link to a story today, Bosch. Supposedly, okay. some Republicans are pushing for some actual significant Who? change. Who? I'll tell you in a second. Let's go Well, there. that's good because they've been such cowards about it. That, that, you know, that's really a perfect transition there, Bosch. That's great. That we're going to skip over a story, but we'll that go back to it. Was that on purpose? We're going, to, we're going to skip over a story. And uh, now here Crastio says metadata is not encrypted. As far as, far as I know, Crastio, I, and I read a little bit on the Dark Mail website, Crastio over at the Blog Talk Radio is saying that he doesn't think that this technology would encrypt the metadata. As far as I know, they intend to encrypt everything except, I think, the length of the message. I guess somehow the amount of information, the packets or pockets, or I think they're called packets. I don't know. I'm, <laughs> I, I want to be more technically astute, but I'm, I'm really not. So as far as I know, it's only the length is what they could see if they intercepted it. They can't tell where it's coming from or where it's going to which is part of the typical metadata. Maybe they can't tell what time it was sent, but you figure it was probably sent recently. I don't know. This would be awesome. We're going to learn more about the technology when Ladar Levison comes because I'm interested in that kind of stuff. And hopefully if he tries to explain it in language that's too technical, I'll keep working with him to get it, to dumb it down to so-called truck driver's English, as Leonard Peikoff always used to say. If you understand something, you should be able to explain it in truck right. driver's English, which I try to do which, with my law. Which uh, Hank Reardon and Dagny Tiger were accused of speaking that language. You know? <laughs> they speak like truck drivers. Just speaking of uh, Atlas Shrugged, uh, the casting for Atlas Shrugged uh, Fart 3, uh, Atlas Shrugged, in, in quotes, by the way, the actors who were playing uh, Francisco and Ragnar, just perfect. I mean, perfect casting. And Islam means peace. That's all. <laughs> Nothing one over here in the chat room of Blog Talk Radio is suggesting G, gpgtools.com as a way to get encrypted email right now, even while you're waiting for dark mail. I'll have to look into this stuff. I've, I really should look more into these things, you would think, well, as somebody is, who's so concerned about Post Obama, privacy issues. Post Obama, this is what we have to do. We have to start looking for these places now who will protect us from the government. You know, this is where we are. <laughs> Snowden was basically saying in the Q&A yesterday that the government has records on all of us given the state of the law and everything. He estimates about five years. So they could go back and get embarrassing stuff about you from anything of the last five years, even if right now the government doesn't give a crap about you, right? No, because you're just, you're just me. But you're if just you like start this. running for office in the wrong party, quote unquote, right. well, they're going to get you. They're going to figure something out and get you on something. They, can, they can go back. And this and might be this part, of, part of the whole, the whole reason why. Get good people out of power and that's it right and even if, you, even if you're embarrassing uh, yeah exactly something that you're embarrassed about you just don't want the world to know about whatever it's ridiculous it is truly ridiculous and, and i've always been on the side of let's fight the legal battle let's fight the legal battle but maybe we need to do something else as well so let's let's talk about the good news a little bit which is that supposedly the republican party is calling for an end to, is that my phone? Now, now keep in mind, whenever we hear something that comes out decent from the Republican Party, uh, it's, it's election year. We've got to keep that in mind. You know, Romney ran allegedly on repealing and replacing uh, Obamacare. And after the election, he basically came out and said, well, he would have changed it. He lied. Right. He lies ass off for who knows how many months. So let's just keep that in mind. That's all. 
Well, I think they know that people want the bulk metadata collection to stop. Well, if they could do something prior to the election, really do something. That's apparently what they're trying to do. If they can do do that, then they'll get some more votes. I mean, mean, think about this. Talk about your bipartisan initiative, Mm -hmm. right? I doubt Obama's going to sign this. I think that they're going to have to actually override a veto on this I think because so too. Obama, again, you know, go back and listen to my speech from, I mean, my speech, my analysis <laughs> of Obama's speech. It sounded like a speech, I guess. It went on and on. But, you know, listen to my analysis of Obama's speech from last week, but it sounded like he wants to keep all his toys, right? He does. So, he but, is determined. But I think that there is a huge opportunity to have bipartisan legislation to get rid of the bulk metadata but how collection. how many rational Democrats can they siphon off? I don't know. I think quite a few. I don't know. I mean, I the Republicans are doing it for, for partisan reasons, but a lot of them. Some of them are principled, very few. Some of them will do it because it, 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 well, it's against the current party. And, and recently, remember, uh, who's the guy from Vermont that asked the NSA about the spying on uh, congressmen? Uh, the, uh, the, the, the socialist, Bernie Sanders. Is he Vermont? I don't, I'm, I'm not sure, but... New but, Hampshire, Vermont? No, he, he was the one who, who was complaining about this. Right, right, right. The guy he, who called he, himself he a socialist. He went to the NSA. So he's he's and a he, communist, but... And he, and, he, yeah. and he asked the NSA, are you spying on congressmen? He's like, he, he wanted to know if it's out there that he's an actual communist, not just a socialist that he claims to be. <laughs> That's what he wanted to know. Because it's very personal with him. Anyway, they told them. They said, look, you guys, you get just as much protection as every other American, which Meaning means none. none. So I think that a lot of them would be on board with this. The end of the bulk metadata collection, they should only be targeting when they have reason. They have particularized suspicion. So even these irrational Democrats would be interested in doing that. And then you got the media gliding right past and saying, oh, it is what it is. Because Obama basically had that press conference say, I'm not changing anything. Okay. I'll pretend it. No, I'll no, say says, something. He says, well, I really want to change. But, he, says, you know. he says, I really want to change it. Yeah. I really want to change it. You know, I'm honest. I want, I want to change yeah. it. He says, but we want to keep the same capability that we have now. Mm-hmm. And we want to have that same capability without any of the ways that, uh, you know, semi. I call myself a first level tech support type person. I understand technology to a certain extent. Right. And the way it seems to me, he has given to whoever people that he's assigned to this task, an insoluble problem. He says, give me all the capabilities that we have right now with the NSA to be able to dig into a database of metadata instantaneously. Mm -hmm. Give me that capability by either not having the government retain it, not having the phone companies retain it individually, and not having a third party collect it all either, because all these have their problems, but we want the same capability. Uh Square the circle, please, and get back to me. And when we square the circle, I'll be happy to get rid of the bulk metadata. That's what he said. He said, square the circle, and I'll get rid of the bulk metadata. Exactly right. I'm not doing anything fundamentally different. Zero. Right. So I mean, his whole thing is he knows he can get away with this crap. Republicans, they don't have the balls. They don't have anything to actually fight him. And Democrats are completely on board. And the media, so he's like, I'm going to do this if they want to take me to court later on. You know what I mean? After it's far too late, people don't care anymore. Go for it. Apparently, the Republicans are going to do this. And this is an article that I have from Time.com. Actually, Time is covering this, which I'm glad to see. It's about time. Uh, again, go to my blog, don'tletitgo.com. Check out all the links we're talking about today. So it says, in the, the latest indication of a growing libertarian wing of the GOP, the Republican National Committee passed a resolution on Friday 
calling for an investigation into the gross infringement of Americans' rights by NSA programs that were revealed by Snowden. The resolution calls on Republican members of Congress to enact amendments to Section 215, which allows all this bulk metadata collection. So the amendment should make clear that, quote, blanket surveillance of the Internet activity, phone records, and correspondence, electronic, physical, and otherwise, of any person residing in the U.S. is prohibited by law and that violations can be reviewed in adversarial proceedings before a public court, end quote, which means they actually intend to give us the ability to redress grievances with respect to this. So there should be no blanket surveillance. That's what the RNC. Now listen to this. There's a lot of people in the Republican National Committee, I'm sure, that are your milquetoast well, the head of Neo, it. Neocon the, Republicans, The head right? of it is Rince Priebus. The Pumperer should have rinsed him after the big laws in 2012, but they haven't. He's still head of it, so he stinks. Anyway, apparently this resolution passed by an overwhelming majority voice vote. It sounds pretty good. We'll see. No, I'm, I'm nobody just... was outspoken against it. But, you know, if you think of the type of Republicans like John Bolton. Yeah. Right. Uh, who we assumed would be strong and good on this is dead wrong. Yeah, dead wrong. He, he would be in favor of continuing this program. And he thinks it's an actual national security issue. He actually believes that. So, so as far as I understand, there are members of the Republican Party and the RNC and people who were probably sitting there when they took this voice vote who are against collect, you know, ending this bulk metadata collection because they think we need to protect, us, protect ourselves against terrorism. But nonetheless, they didn't have the guts to stand up and speak out against it. So mm. it's seeming like Republicans we'll see. might be, with, you know, with respect to this issue only. We'll see. A party of it's pro-freedom. A, it's, it's always we'll see because they, they've been so bad. So bad. Then there was some other resolution about reaffirming the party's pro-life stance. Okay, we're not talking about that today. But luckily, the headline of this article was all about ending the bulk metadata collection program, which would be wonderful if they would do it. The thing that does bother me is that they want to do it only by statute. And what I'd rather see is a statute. Go ahead and pass a statute that eliminates the third party doctrine mm. that says they won't go there here on third party data is protected by the Fourth Amendment unless that third party is getting data pursuant to an illegal contract. That's the that's what I want to see. If you want to understand what I just said, go read my paper over at PJ Media, which is called Don't Tread on My Metadata. I explained the whole thing there. But I would like to see legislation that just gets rid of the doctrine, not legislation that tinkers right, right. and says, okay, you know, don't collect this stuff. Because, because that's, that's a big black heart of it. He, because he, all they have to do, you know, and again, I, I mean, come on, we really need the Supreme Court to weigh in on this. And I'm hoping that if this class action lawsuit of Rand Paul actually gets there, no matter in what terms he presents it to them, you know, like bulk warrants and stuff like that, a, a warrant that a general warrant that applies to all Americans at once, et cetera, that he's trying to prove is illegal. It's not legal. However they present it, I think the Supreme Court will use the opportunity to reconsider the third-party doctrine. That's uh, one of them. That would be great. Anyway, uh, in the meantime, there is concern about another potential invasion of privacy made possible because, again, 
our country doesn't have a proper foreign policy. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, We're all what, playing defense. You know, and this is this is something that Snowden pointed out yesterday, right? All of this bulk metadata collection and stuff that they've been doing has not prevented a single terrorist attack. Yes. And as Ted Cruz... It has, has, has to be repeated again and again. Yeah. Obama claimed 50 were, have been stopped. Well, other, other people from his administration have claimed the same. They have. Yeah. They said literally, and someone was asked, where, what attacks exactly? Well, you know, we have to look at uh, the reports and blah, blah. Why couldn't they, if it's so important, why couldn't they remember a specific... Just one. You know, one example Just off one the top example. of their head. I mean, I give a because show we know, here, we, we know that and Fort things Hood, that are important to me, I yeah. remember, and I just... State them off the Fort top Hood of my head. and Boston were not were not stopped. Sorry, I'm making the horrible noises with this cold. This is and cold. they were terrorist attacks. People try to dismiss them. People try to say, well, the last attack was 9/11. No, it was Fort Hood, 13 Americans. The Boston, what, two Americans and one, and the, who knows how many were. Where maimed. was the NSA then? I, I think three three were killed and people endless were maimed. I don't know how many. Yeah. That was a terrorist attack that they could have stopped if they were doing their job. Right. If they weren't looking at everyone, they could have looked at some. And if we had a proper foreign policy where we actually conducted a real war against our real enemies, then there would have been that as well. (sighs) Anyway, listen to the new potential invasion of privacy that has become necessary to defense. Mm. The Pentagon, according to the CBS Evening News, cbsnews.com, Pentagon is going to launch blimps to guard against cruise missiles. Blimps. Blimps are going to be up in the air. And what's the privacy concern? The privacy concern is they could attach cameras mm. to the bottom of these blimps and spy on the Americans below the blimps. The ACLU points out that there is nothing in the law that would prohibit them from attaching cameras to these blimps. So let's listen to the story here a little bit. It says, the Pentagon has discovered a gap in the defenses of Washington, D.C., and it's about to test a solution. Says, but depending on your point of view, the solution is either vital for national security or a threat to American privacy. Starting this fall, two blimps will float at 10,000 feet over the Army's Aberdeen Proving Ground in Maryland in an attempt to develop a defense for the nation's capital against cruise missiles fired from ships offshore. Russia apparently has an, a large arsenal of these cruise missiles. These are essentially low-flying unmanned aircraft. And other countries like Iran... We're doing such a good job with Iran, right? They're developing them as well. Uh, why don't we just handle Iran appropriately and not let, let them develop this stuff? I don't know. <sighs> One military officer said about this, he says, as it stands today, we have practically zero capability to detect it, much less defend against it, end quote. I hate when this stuff is published. It's like, oh, oh we're just wide open. Just come hit us right now. But that's basically what he's saying. He says the blimps will carry radars that can search for hundreds of miles to detect the launch of a cruise missile and relay the data to interceptor missiles, which have been positioned around Washington since September 11th. He says that those same blimps can also be outfitted with radars capable of tracking vehicles on the ground and with cameras that can watch people. Now, listen to this, right? Tracking vehicles on the ground. Remember, I've talked before about the ruling of the Supreme Court that says that if the government attaches a GPS device to your car, if it attaches a GPS device to your car, that that is a search within the meaning of the Fourth Amendment. That's what the Supreme Court has held. So if they physically attach a GPS tracking thing to your car, but if they don't have to attach 
GPS tracking device to your car, and they can just track it from up above by radar. Awesome. So they could do that. Anyway, the ACLU, Christopher Calabrese, says that there is no law against them doing this. He says there's no rule. There's nothing that bars us from having high-powered cameras monitoring our every public movement, end quote. Interesting. So that is a new potential threat on privacy. Will the Republicans pick up on that as well? Probably a lot of it depends on how much outcry there is from we the people. So we'll go ahead and try to get in on that. Uh, we've got a little while before. In terms of, uh, the end of the first outcry, um, it seems like no matter what we say now, they do, they will do what they will do uh, against our will. So I don't know I don't know how much outcry there has to be. Well, I think what they'll do is they say, oh, well, we understand, but this is essential for national security. That, that's what I'm saying, and leave it at yeah. that, and that's it. And I say, how about conducting a proper foreign policy where you don't allow people who are calling for the destruction of one of our allies, well, Israel, what? to get weapons like this? Well, when there are scum and cowards in power, this is what happens. Now, uh, they say MO82844 in the chat room over here at Blog Talk Radio says that he hears that they use these blimps near the border, the Mexican-American border, already now. So if you live near one of those border states, you might already be being observed. Yeah, and anyways, as far as I know about the state of the law, the guy from the ACLU is right that if the thing is up in the air and it's in a place where planes typically have a right to be and stuff – if they're watching and you, you have from some up there, worker good luck. Going there with, with the camera behind, who knows? I mean, you, you question the morality of these type of people. Anyway, who would actually take that kind of job? And honestly, it's not for national security reasons. You know, though, um, one thing that Stone said yesterday as well is that a lot of, I mean, the people who actually just work for the NSA, a lot of them, they want to do good. They want to help protect. You know, the, uh, by and large, they're decent people, and he says a lot of them have the same concerns that he does. That's fine, but, but he's the then one who they, out there. They, yeah, exactly. He's the one who's brave enough to have come out. I wouldn't go. I, w- I wouldn't go join the NSA. I wouldn't. Well, especially now, knowing what we know. But, but suppose but you but didn't. Even before is what I'm saying. Look who's in charge. I mean, the federal government is Barack Obama. It is Barack Obama. NSA, right. the, the But I mean, IRS, a lot of these everyone. people got involved earlier. I know that. I mean, well, some of them might have even got involved in the era well, of Reagan. Yeah, but even under Bush, it's like it's like someone was actually criticizing the uh, something about well, the rules of engagement in that movie, um, a lone, lone Survivor, and they were they were getting on on Obama. That was under Bush. Those rules of engagement. He started this crap. So it's 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 a Bush. Obama has has continued and exacerbated the bad situation. But it was Bush who began these terrible rules. Uh, of engagement. Sorry. But think about this. If you were in your early 20s, you're fresh out of college. And post, you, 9/11, and, 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 and post 9-11. Post 9 I mean, I, I can imagine what the wealth of good, honest patriots who want to go out there and kick ass and destroy our enemies and our government betrayed every single last one of them. Yep. Because they did not allow them to do what they set out to do. They wanted to go and get vengeance and also kill these scum so they don't come back and kill us. And what they do? They start democracy projects. Bush, a sacrifice for the freedom of strangers. Because that's, you know, that's what we thought about. 9-11, we said, oh, we can't wait for Iraqis to be free. That was the first thing I thought about right. when, oh, when, yeah. when the planes hit. <laughs> I wanted the enemies destroyed. I wanted states destroyed. I wanted them to pay a, a, a historical price. And we did not conduct the proper wars against the proper enemies. And here we are 
with bulk surveillance and you know of what? everybody. If, if it's up to our government, they will never, ever, ever destroy this enemy. Ever. No matter what they do. Never. If it's up to our government. We yeah, got we, a, a dozen years post 9-11? You know, the, the stuff with Iran is just too horrible to believe. So we don't even have that in our list today. We're no, Obama wants Iran to get nukes. Yeah. He wants them to get nukes. Yeah. He can't come out there and say it, but that's what everything he's done the and thing, not the, done. The thing I don't is get is, towards. why are they waiting till fall to put these blimps up in the know. air? It's so funny. I mean, the story says, okay, yeah, if, these are so, if it's so important. <laughs> yeah. It's like, we, you know what? We, we have no protection right now. We're going to put these up in the fall. Come what? and get us yeah. between now and then. A caller you know? calls in Mark Levin and says, Obama's just trying to help us, man. You know, Obamacare is trying to help us. He goes, so why is he going to put the implement some of the major things in Obamacare after the election. If it's so important, why right. 10 months from now? Right. Why is he waiting for then? Oh, yeah. If it's so important, then he wants to help us so desperately. Politics, through and through. No, it's, just, it, it, it's truly, truly horrible. Let's talk about something good before the end of the hour, okay? And it is Apple. A couple of cool things. I have two links about Apple over at DontLetItGo.com today. And one is that Apple has won a temporary reprieve of basically mm. being abused by oh, the, the, the monitor, the court-appointed monitor in the e-books antitrust case. If you remember, Apple has been brought up on antitrust charges because of the pricing of the e-books. Because they're too successful, but they, they use the pricing of the e-books as an as excuse to get in. Antitrust laws, completely irrational. Go look them up over on the Ayn Rand lexicon. You can read more. But an antitrust law basically says if your prices are too low, you're doing something wrong. Your prices are too high, you're doing something wrong. Arbitrary. It's completely arbitrary. Arbitrary laws. That's the name. You know, everybody, you just leave Apple alone. Let the market take care of it, please. It would be nice if the government would take barriers to entry out of the technology market so that it would be easier for competitors to Apple to go ahead and spring up. And then if you think the prices of Apple's eBooks are too high, compete. Yeah. Compete. Provide something better. But no, instead, we'll just spend a whole bunch of tax dollars going after Apple in antitrust. Imagine how many of your tax dollars are being used to abuse Apple right now. Yeah. And because Apple has all the costs associated with fighting the antitrust suit and paying this monitor who was charging something exorbitant like $1,100 a day, Apple not only got brought up on the charges, then this monitor was appointed because you know they supposedly had violated the antitrust law. They, they had to pay the monitor $1,100 a day. Mm. They have to pay the person who's pointing the government gun at them $1,100 a day. And the guy was horribly, I mean, I, we've oh, talked about this disgusting. before, but he was demanding personal face-to-face -face interviews yeah. with people on the board of Apple. They probably want to watch them create their, their thing, go into their workspace. Who knows? Yeah. I mean, it, everything it, abuse. You know, you would think, basically, he needs to speak, you know, assuming that he has a proper function there. He does not. He has no proper function Nothing. there. The government has no right to be going in and telling them how to conduct their business. Now, if Apple was committing fraud or if Apple was using force to coerce competitors like the government. or coerced partners. Basically, if, the, yeah. if Apple was being like government, go on. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Then we should take care of it, right? But Apple's not being like government. Apple is producing kick-butt products 
that make our lives so much better. Recently, I got, an, I got an Apple TV recently and dumped cable, and it is awesome. Yeah. I really, really enjoy it. There's one little glitch that's kind of annoying, which is the um, – the, 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 there's a feature that allows you to get all the music and movies off of your home computer and play it through the Apple TV. And it's called home sharing. And what you have to do periodically is refresh the connection to the home sharing yeah. from your computer. And that can be kind of a pain in the butt sometimes. So I'm hoping that they'll get rid of that little bug. But other than that, but I think it's, it's awesome. Also, watching the films uh, digitally through the TV, it's even, uh, I might be wrong, but it looks even better than it looks on the, on the Blu-ray. It's pretty incredible. It, it's incredible screen. Really, really, really nice. Of course, if we had a you know, better TV, but maybe it'd be even better. But anyway, Apple wins temporary reprieve. I am so happy for them because this guy was making their lives miserable. Actually, Elliot in the chat room over here on Blog Talk cool. Radio says that he's listening to us on Apple TV. I have never seen that. Um, how, how you would do that. So you'll have to explain to us how you do that. Elliot really uh, cool. agrees. It does look great. It looks. I mean, it, it, I. I've seen some of Blu-rays, like Iron Man 3 Blu-ray and, and the Avengers, and the way it looks on screen, it's, just, it's superior. And I don't know exactly how that happens, but whatever. It's incredible. It's a digital, uh, plus the screen is really good, and the Apple, the uh, resolution is excellent. Uh, H, HDMI. Called? HDMI. Yeah, you have to have a good HDMI cable. It's so good. Anyway, unplug your cable, get an HDMI antenna, go read about it. It's, it's awesome. Plus, you know, we awesome. don't watch news necessarily. We don't watch that crap. The, the, tw- the 24 hour news programs, I check out the news on well, the internet. There are certain things that you want to watch live, you know, certain, fine. You got, you got the local uh, channels if you want. Yeah, just get, get an HDMI antenna, stick it in, connect, disconnect your cable, go Apple, it's awesome. I'm actually waiting for Apple to, I think they're going to revolutionize television further. And Jobs was, was uh, talking about that near the end. And it may, that may be the, the last big Jobs you know, idea that he had. Right. We'll see. Revolutionizing television. Anyway, so what was this guy was doing horrible stuff to them, right? Assuming that he had a proper function over at Apple again, I don't think he did. Assuming that he did, he should be meeting with people who set policies that are relevant to right. the pricing of the ebooks, the selling but, of the ebooks, right? But no, 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 that wasn't enough for him. But one thing. He wanted to meet with Johnny think, Ive. But think about this. This is where the government, they are the ultimate trespassers. Right. They always want to go where they don't belong. They don't belong anywhere except in their, at their desks, making sure that we're okay, protecting us from you know, threats and whatnot. Instead, they want, to, they want to go wherever they want to go. They're the ultimate trespassers, and that's what you're right. You know what? I like Johnny Ives. I want to go, you know, I'm, I'm, from, I'm I mean, from a government, hell, okay? You know, He's like a fanboy, maybe. Pay me 1100 a day to go sit down and meet with Johnny <laughs> Ives. Right. It's ridiculous. So this guy made all sorts of horrible demands. I mean, moreover, apparently the usual thing that happens when there's something like this, again, this was a district-level court, a federal district court. It is the first court in which the antitrust case was heard. Typically, because the case is going to be appealed, there would not be very much activity of an antitrust monitor until the appeal court, at least, reached a final ruling. But this district court judge, whoever it was, I can't remember, it was some lady who was friends with Bromwich, right? She appointed her friend, appointed her friend to harass Apple. Right, the lady. The, and, uh, and basically encouraged him. And we talked about there, there are discussions. It was really ugly stuff. Oh, yeah. Be, you know, be aggressive. And stuff. So he 
not only was you know, engaging in an unprecedented level of activity, it was really invasive. He was racking up huge bills. So imagine your tax dollars are paying for the court system that is going to institute this and appoint this guy. And, and then Apple has to pay out of its funds $1,100 a day for this guy who's pointing a government gun at their Spoken head. Per hour. Uh, oh, $1,100 per hour, of course, out, of course. That sounds out, Yes, yes. Crastio says 11, it is 1100 per hour. And he'll probably be there I for cold. how many hours a day would it, would it be there, looking over the shoulder of, of these people? I mean, you know, billable hours per day. He, he better watch it, this Bromwich, right? Because how many actual billable hours do you do of work per day? If you're doing six, you are awesome. Well, well a government worker, you know. But a lot, a, lot of it, a lot of attorneys bill eight per day. Yeah, but they're, you know, this guy's some anyway, government hack. Yeah. So imagine you're paying this guy out of your funds. And then what do you have to do? You have to increase the prices that you charge the consumers. So how much of the price of my iPhone goes to jerks like Bromwich? And again, this is their first push, their first step. This is not the end. This is only the beginning, this Bromwich character. He's the first guy. Right. If Apple doesn't really take it on hard. Anyway, this is the beautiful news. The beautiful news is the U.S. Court of Appeals for the Second Circuit on Tuesday issued an order that temporarily halts yep. Bromwich's oversight while the appeal awaits a ruling, which is how it should yep. be. Apple should not have this garbage imposed upon them. Harassment, abuse. Anyway, but certainly not until there's a final ruling. I mean, it, it's so egregious what they've had to do. So, upshot, we need to get rid of the antitrust laws. <sighs> Let the free market take care of it. Can we free up the market so that the free Please. market could take care of it? That would be nice. Let Apple have some competition. That's the way that it's supposed to be done. So uh, kudos for Apple. I, I'm glad that you have a temporary reprieve. I hope, even though I'm sure that the doctrine in antitrust law that they're having to work within is really irrational, I hope that they're going to be able to get a favorable ruling on appeal. We really got to get rid of this antitrust. I'd love it if IJ would come in or I don't know who would come and help them do this. But Apple today is celebrating 30 years Mm. of the Mac. 30 years of Macintosh. 1984. Mm. You know, they had the classic commercial at the Super Bowl. Right. Those of you who saw some of the early Macs, you saw the little Mac with the nice little smiley face and everything. Uh, I have a link at my blog, don'tletitgo.com, over to the page, but it's apple.com forward slash 30, you know, short dash years, 30 years. And you can watch the timeline of all of the different computers. That's awesome. Uh, And you can go in there and actually put in what was your first Macintosh and what did you do with it. And I'm embarrassed to say I did not get a Macintosh (laughs) until about 2002. My first Macintosh was one of those floating screen iMacs and I could no longer resist. I I mean, I already knew. Jerome Brook beat me. He (laughs) had Mac for a few years and he was already recommending it. And then I saw this iMac. It was the dome case on the bottom and then the floating screen above with the little metal arm. It was beautiful. It was beautiful. So anyway, go there, check it out. 30 years of Mac. I'm glad that they are celebrating this today, and hopefully they're also a bit happier because they've got that Bromwich jerk. They, they kicked that rat off for, the, for, <laughs> for a time being. At least. They kicked that rat, that rat off of his back. 
So we are going to switch now that we are at basically, I think, the top of the hour. And we're going to be skipping around a little bit. Again, if you go to my blog at don'tletitgo.com, you can see all the links to the stories that we're talking about today. And the next one that we're talking about is actually a little bit down the list, so we're skipping around a little bit. But it is the broken state of American health insurance prior to the Affordable Care Act. And that is the title of a report that is written by Rituparna Basu. She is from the Ayn Rand Institute. She is a fellow there. Rituparna, hi. How are you? Hi, Amy. I'm really great. Thanks for having me. Yeah, thanks for coming on to the show today. So I'm excited about this, right, because I know in theory, and I know a little bit in terms of reality, that we had nothing like a free market in healthcare before Obamacare came around. And, I mean, the big stuff that I know is I know we had Medicare and I know we had Medicaid and I know we had that patient prescription thing that Bush brought in. But I don't know a lot of the concretes myself about what the state of American health insurance was prior to the Affordable Care Act. But everyone thought, oh, it was a free market and Obamacare is going to come and cure all the ills of the free market. So I'm, I'm excited about this because you've got a lot of you know, concrete research. So tell, tell us about how you got interested in this project. Yeah, well, I think I got interested in the project, Amy, because you're right. Like, this is something I thought people don't know this. People don't realize it realize how controlled health insurance is by the government. We think, you know, we call them private insurance companies. But, you know, in reality, they're privately owned, but they're not privately run. And that's something that I I thought, hey, this is something that people really need to know because it's important. Because if we think about all the problems in our health insurance system, right, we've got so many problems. We've got continually rising premiums. People can't find coverage. If you lose your job, you lose your health insurance, we have a lot of real problems. And if you conceptualize all these problems as occurring in a basically free market, right, if you, then you're going to say that, well, we need regulation to come and fix this. But what the point of the paper is, is to show that, no, we had so many regulations already. And that if you actually look at these regulations, we should really be trying to repeal some of these regulations, get rid of them, because they have been problematic, not the free market, which never existed. So give me one problem that was true about the health insurance system and give me an example of the cause of that problem in terms of government intervention. Well, for example, one of the big problems that Obamacare was supposed to deal with and address was this whole pre-existing condition problem, right? That you've got a pre-existing condition, you're trying to find health insurance, you can't get it. Now, on its own, this is not that crazy, right, because you can't really get insurance for – can you hear me, Amy? Now I can hear you. Yes, now I can hear you. So go ahead and repeat that. I'm sorry. Oh, that's okay. Um, So one of the issues that Obamacare was supposed to deal with was this issue of preexisting conditions. So this was the whole issue, right, that you've got preexisting conditions, you're trying to find health insurance, and you can't find it. And by it, on its own, this is not so crazy if you think about what insurance is, right? Because if you, you usually don't get insurance for something that's already happened to you. You don't get, you know, homeowner's insurance when your house is already on fire. So by itself, it's not crazy. But the point is that this was a problem in many ways created by the government. So when people who have preexisting conditions, but they can't find coverage, what's usually happening is that they used to have health insurance uh, through their employer. 
And then because in the, in the United States, your health insurance is tied to your employer in many cases, when you leave your job, say if you want to become an entrepreneur, if you would leave your job, uh, you have to eventually uh, leave your health insurance. And that means you've got to go and you've got to apply for health insurance all on your own. And if you're 45 years old, you decide you're going to start your own business, of course you're going to have some pre-existing conditions. If you're kicked out of the health insurance market just because you left your job, you're going to have to reapply. Your premiums are going to be higher. They, you might even be turned down because, yeah, applying for health insurance at 45 doesn't really make the most sense. You should have had it since you were younger. So why is it that people keep going in and out of the labor market? When they go in and out of the labor market, they go in and out of the health insurance market, something that's not conducive to insurance? Well, that's because of government tax policy. So the government has said it that if you buy your health insurance through your employer, you have a significant financial advantage compared to buying it on your own. Because of that, you know, small, you know, just a small rule in the tax code, we have this whole big problem, a very real problem, where people can't find coverage. So is is the idea that because of this perverse incentive for everybody to get their insurance through their employer, something that was created early on in the 1900s with the tax code, right? Because of that perverse incentive, everybody basically did get their insurance through their employer and therefore their insurance coverage would lapse at a time when they have pre-existing conditions. Whereas maybe in a free market where we didn't get it through our employer, we would buy insurance early enough in life such that we wouldn't have had a pre-existing condition and then we would just keep the same policy throughout our life. Is, is that the idea? Well, I mean, that, that kind of possibility would occur. It wouldn't be the case that the government is manipulating your choices. So if, you know, right now a lot of people are very afraid to leave their jobs because they know if they leave their jobs, they might lose their health coverage, and people just can't afford that. Um, and you wouldn't have the situation if the government was not manipulating, uh, you know, our choices through the tax policy. If you left your job, that would have nothing to say about your health insurance. And that is the situation most people are in. That is the reason most people, when they say they have pre-existing conditions and they can't find coverage, it is because they lost their job. That's the, that's the main factor, and that's caused by government. Now, what about the person, say, they've never been employed, you know, they've always been self-employed, and that person just wants to buy insurance, but they do have a pre-existing condition, what would be the proper thing on the free market? For them to well, do. you know, it's hard to say on the free market what, what would happen because the wonderful thing about the free market is, is that it's a market of innovation. So it's hard for me to say, well, this is how things would work on a free market. There are certainly um, lots of ideas out there about how to insure yourself against the risk of developing medical conditions, right, something that everybody shares, that everyone needs to protect themselves from this risk. There are a lot of innovative actuarial tools out there, and in many ways today they're prevented from actually coming into existence and being practiced because of government policy. Now, is, is part of the problem in terms of getting an insurance policy if you have pre-existing condition, part of it maybe is it government regulations too on insurance policies themselves such that insurance companies can't tailor policies for people with pre-existing conditions in a way that would be profitable to them? So this is one of the things, yes, that I talk about in the article uh, is another way that the government is interfering in health insurance and controlling health insurance, and that is by uh, deciding for everybody the kind of coverage that they're going 
to buy. So it's not the case. We have a lot more freedom in, say, homeowners insurance, the kind of coverage we want to buy, right? Like if we're in an earthquake-prone area like in California, we might want to buy coverage for that. But we don't need to necessarily buy coverage for protections from tornadoes. We don't get those around here very often. We have more freedom in other areas. We don't have that freedom at all in health insurance. So in health insurance, the government decides exactly the kind of coverage you're going to buy, what services are going to be covered that you need to pay for, whether you need them or not. And so you get bizarre situations where you have men paying for contraception coverage, men paying for in vitro fertilization coverage, teetotalers paying for alcoholism, uh, rehabilitation. You've got all sorts of weird things like that happen. And this raises, of course, the cost of a policy. If you have to buy coverage for everything under the sun, which Obamacare and many state laws before Obamacare certainly required, well, it's going to raise the cost of your policy, and it's going to limit your choices, right? A lot of times what happened, um, and part of the, I mean, one of the reasons for Obamacare was, oh, look, we have all these uninsured. Well, why are people, so many people uninsured? Well, it turns out one out of four people are uninsured because they don't like that choice of having to buy a super expensive policy with coverage that they don't want or need or having to go without coverage at all. And that's a one out of four people who who have, uh, don't have insurance, that's why they go without insurance, because the government has made it so expensive. So let, let's talk about another sort of problem. One problem was the issue of people with pre-existing conditions trying to get coverage. What's another problem that people were pointing out pre-Obamacare that was actually caused by government? So the price is definitely, the cost definitely. So if you look on the 10 years before Obamacare, premiums doubled in health insurance. Um, that didn't happen in any other insurance industry, in any other insurance product, just in health insurance. So you have to really wonder what is going on. And yeah, government intervention is all over, is, is the reason why. Um, and so one of the ways that insurance became unaffordable and prices kept going up is because the government was mandating everybody buy coverage for everything under the sun. And the other way is, you know, insurance is a science, right? It's called actuarial science. It's complex. It involves statistics, probabilities. It's it's a complex thing. And the more the government, um, you know, distorts how insurance companies actually do insurance, how they actually assess risk and price risk and manage risk, the more distortions you're going to see in premiums. And so one of the major ways that this happened, um, and the example I bring up in the article, is what happened in the state of New York. So New York, in a, in a, in a lot of ways, is almost like, you know, you could look at New York and what happened in the 1990s, and you can say Obamacare does basically the same thing that New York is doing, but it does it on a, a national level. And so what happened in New York? Well, in New York, you know, they passed these laws called community rating laws, Amy. And these are laws that say to insurance companies exactly how they have to determine their premiums. So how, insurance companies usually what they do to figure out your premium, right, is if you're thinking about something like car insurance, well, it's, if you are a safer driver, you're going to be charged a lower premium. If you're a higher risk driver, right, if you have a history of accident, of getting into accidents, of doing risky behavior like running red lights, naturally your premium is going to be higher because the insurance company has to take on more risk to cover you. Right. Yeah. In health insurance in New York, that's not, that's not what happens. In the early 1990s, they decided, no, if you have a higher chance of getting sick, if you're of a higher risk, you cannot be charged any more than someone who, has, who is healthy. 
So young people and older people are charged exactly the same, even though older people, of course, have much, much higher chances of getting sick. Healthy people, unhealthy people charged exactly the same. Now, if you look at what happened in New York as a result of this, I mean, these, this law destroyed New York's health insurance market, and to this day, New York's health insurance market is suffering because of it. Because what happens when you say that older people are not allowed to be charged anymore? Well, someone's got to pay for that, those extra costs, Amy. Someone's got to pay for the fact that an older person, a 60-year-old, has six times higher health care costs than a 20-year-old. If the 60-year-old's not paying, it's the, it's the 20-year-old who's paying. And so what happened in New York is that all the young people saw their premiums go through the roof. 30-year-old single men saw their premiums triple. Now, wow. I don't know about you, but I can't afford three times higher premiums. <laughs> no. And, you know, one in six people in New York within a year had to drop coverage or had to, you know, their employer said, we can't pay for your coverage. Like, it's three times more expensive. So all these people left the market. Um, so there you have, okay, all these, these people are now uninsured. So that's a problem that was caused. But the funny thing is, and why it's so ugly about this, is that the whole idea behind this was, well, we have to lower costs for older people. Mm-hmm. And it's okay, but now that the young people have left, the way insurance works is there's no more young people. So now premiums go up for everybody. So in New York, premiums went up for everybody more so than they did before regulation. So even the older, sicker people, even their premiums went through the roof. It was a total nightmare and it remains the same today. Well, apparently it's gotten even worse today because I have a friend on Facebook from New York and she was self-employed and she had said that her premiums are now going to go up so much in March, you know, because March is the deadline to have the new Obamacare compliant policies come into effect. In March, she's not going to be able to afford it anymore. The only policies that she's supposedly eligible for are ones that she cannot afford to pay for. I mean, this is, I mean, it's called the Affordable Care Act. It's, that's yeah. very ironic. It's very, it's not very informative. It's actually the opposite. It's the Unaffordable Care Act. And what you're describing that's happening to people all across the country. I mean, so the point, I mean, when I say, like, what happened in New York, the point is there was so much regulation there, and look how much damage it, damage it caused. And then you have Obamacare, which is even more regulation, Right? I mean, this is why I wrote the article. It's like if you don't see regulations as causing the problem, you're going to be for Obamacare, which is the greatest expansion of government in almost 50 years. But in reality, it's regulations that broke the system, and so, of course, Obamacare is going to make everything so much worse. Now, you've been studying in particular the government intervention in the healthcare industry and Obamacare. I talk about it on my show quite a bit, but there's a couple of observations that I've been making recently, and I want to check them with you and see if if you agree with this, Um, that when they talk about bailing out the health insurance companies, which is probably going to have to happen because the enrollments have not been what they have projected you know, and, and those, those projections are required to happen. Otherwise, the health insurance companies cannot stay in business, right? So when they, when they bail out these health insurance companies, don't you think that's just half a step to single payer in that you way? Know, it, you know, it's interesting um, that you call it a bailout because um, I know there's a debate over that, like what exactly is it? I don't think I'd call it a bailout, Amy. Um, okay. Because a bailout suggests almost that, Listen, they, they, you know, if someone you're bailing someone out, then that suggests that that person did something wrong, that they screwed up somehow, and now you have to come along and you got to fix the situation uh, for them. 
You know, but this is the this is, government did this to the health insurance companies, and they knew full well that they were distorting their policies, and that that was going to create a whole lot of problems. And that's what's happening now. That they screwed up, uh, they screwed up the health insurance market. And now they have to come in and they have to fix it somehow. And how are they fixing it? They're going to use taxpayer money. And that is, I mean, the way I hold Obamacare is it is one giant in subsidization scheme. It's one giant wealth redistribution scheme. And this is just one other way in which the o- Obamacare says they're going to redistribute wealth from the young and healthy to the older and less healthy. And this is just one way of doing that. And it's not an ac- accident. It's not that, oh, well, they didn't get enough people to sign up and that's what happened. No, this was planned. They knew this would happen. They knew that the health insurance companies would need right. a lot of public funds. And that's the situation we're in today. No, I, I, th- I think you're exactly right. It's like, call- it, it's like calling the government schools public schools. Yeah. You shouldn't even use that language. You should call it what it is. And, yeah, some of the bailouts, so to speak, were giving money to companies that actually had made bad choices, you know, within the context. But, no, I, these insurance companies, they're between a rock and a hard place, and, and it is the government that's responsible. So I think, I think thank you for calling me on that because, yeah, the use of the term bailout is terrible. You know, one thing, you, you talk about the redistribution of wealth, but I think that, Something that scares people almost more is government taking control over the healthcare industry, right? So if you had just the plain redistribution of wealth element, it's not nearly as scary as the other aspects of a single-payer healthcare system where the government is dictating the treatments that can be used by doctors and, and things like that. And so, you know, yes, we're not going to call it a bailout. We're going to call it the government using more of your tax dollars to clean up the problem that they cause, so to speak. But I think what they're going to do is once they give the money to the insurance companies, they're going to use that to get their claws into the insurance companies and eventually completely take control over them and become a de facto, if not de jure, single-payer system. That's one avenue, yeah? Yeah, I mean, certainly single-payer is um, the goal. I mean, they, people have said, including President Obama, he has said, you know, if I had it my way, I would want a single-payer health care system. Now, the reason um, that I, we don't have that is, I think, purely an issue of convenience. I mean, we don't have single-payer. We don't have full-scale socialized medicine in this country because, you know what, that'll take a while to get there. So instead, the preferred route is fascist medicine. Right? The difference between socialism right. and fascism is that in fascism, the government doesn't own you, but it tells you exactly what to do. And that is exactly the state of American medicine. It is fascist medicine. That is what Obamacare does. It dictates to health insurance companies everything that they can and cannot do. Now, will that inevitably lead to single pair? Well, here's what I mean. You can continue fascist medicine for as long as you want, but if people hold certain ideas, and the idea is that we are striving for a system of universal coverage. And universal coverage for me is not a good thing because universal coverage means that if you can't afford your health care, now it's my responsibility to pay for it. I don't think right. that's the right system to have. If you hold that goal consistently, that Obamacare and fascist medicine more broadly is not the best system. Because look how much trouble they're having, Amy. They're trying to exert all this control over private entities. 
right? They're trying to make sure insurance companies do this and that, and insurance companies are grumbling. They're trying to make sure individuals buy coverage. Individuals are grumbling. They're trying to make sure that employers offer this kind of coverage to these many people, exactly what they have to do. Employers are certainly grumbling, which is why the employer mandate got pushed back. This is hard stuff what they're doing. And everybody knows and they know that at the end of the day, if all you're trying to do is make the young and healthy pay for the old and sick, isn't it a lot easier to achieve that goal just by taxing everyone to death and then the government takes the money and then distributes it as it sees fit, right? It doesn't have to bother with trying to convince you through sticks and carrots to act a certain way. So that's right. how I see that we're going to get to single-payer socialized medicine is that people are going to see this is not a practical form, a practical way, the best way to get to where we're going. And we see, I mean, you can't even, they can't even create a website to coordinate all of this stuff. It's tough. It's a lot easier to have single pair. And yeah, I think eventually we will get there because certainly universal coverage as a goal is held by both the left and to the right. Yep. Well, I, I hope you're wrong about that. Now, I was going to ask you about another thing that has come to my attention the last few months. I, I hadn't really thought that much about this at all, but remember in Obamacare, there is the Medicaid expansion, right? And under the Medicaid expansion, I think they have already enrolled into Medicaid 1.9 million new people, okay? And then another 2 million more people have come into Medicaid since the time of Obamacare, not through the Medicaid expansion explicitly, but I think because all of the different exchange websites, whether national or state-based websites, all of those websites encourage people to give their income information into the website, you know, input that information, and then they're told, oh, my gosh, you're eligible for Medicaid. You didn't know it. Why don't you get it? So one of the things that the Democrats, including Obama, have been bragging about is the increase in Medicaid enrollment. I see that also as a threat, as a, as a fast track to single payer. Does that seem like a realistic fear to you as well? I mean, I see this more as, you know, they're very desperate to make it seem like they have achieved what they set out to achieve, right? They wanted all these people to be insured, and turns out, you know, it's in, by some estimates, more people are uninsured now than before Obamacare. Right. And so I think they're trying to boost their numbers in any way possible. But, yeah, that's another way to try to get single-payer, right, to try to coax everyone into a system like Medicaid, because what is Medicaid? Medicaid is government is paying for your health care yeah um so yeah that's that's another way i mean how exactly it'll happen it's all it's all political it all depends on the forces at play or political interests but if you just take a so i, I mean it's hard to say what's going to happen and when it's going to happen but certainly over the long term if you look at the trend in america i mean um you know ayn rand's birthday is next week it's february 2nd and yeah. um, so i was thinking about this recently and i was thinking you know what would ayn rand say about say obamacare and, oh. and she wrote about socialized medicine right she wrote about socialized medicine she wrote about the bills that were that came just before uh, Medicare and you know back before Medicare so we're talking about before 1965 um, you know you don't have these major entitlement health care programs and today you know we've got Medicare we've got Medicaid we've got HIPAA we've got uh, S chip which which is another part of Medicaid we've got Obamacare we've got all these entitlement programs and so over the long term if you look you're seeing more and more government control of health care and so the prediction is that yeah over long term 
we're going to get even more government control of healthcare. That is going to look like Canada, which has a single-payer system, or even the United Kingdom eventually, which has a totally socialized system where the government owns and operates all the medical facilities and you know, controls all the doctors. Okay, so now that I'm thoroughly depressed, I want you to give me some some good news. Now, are you having interaction with anybody with any sort of political influence or clout on these issues so that maybe we can give the Republicans a spine to actually repeal this mess? or, or what? We can add a spine. To add. add a spine to them? Yeah, that would be nice. <laughs> what do you think? Uh, I mean, we at the Android Institute are about education. You know, we are trying to educate as many people as we can about what broke this system, which, what broke the American healthcare system, which is government, and how to fix it, which is we need a free market. And certainly that involves, you know, getting rid of Obamacare, but it requires getting rid of all the other government controls in healthcare. That includes Medicare and Medicaid. I mean, those are third rail issues for a lot of people, but getting rid of them, and that's what, you know, we say to anybody who's listening. I mean, how much we can influence people in politics is limited. We're a nonprofit, but, you know, we certainly are trying to educate on what broke the system. Right, right. Well, I I do hope that somebody learns, you know, what are the, what are the true causes of this sometime before we actually do get to a single payer system. There's one other thing I want to ask you about before you go, and that is that I think you are planning to give a talk potentially up in Canada to try to educate them as well as to the the evils of government intervention in the healthcare industry, which I guess they already know a lot about, but maybe help to give them a way out, right? Um, tell us about that event. Sure, yes. I'm speaking in Toronto on March 4th, and I believe it's called The Disease That's Killing Canadian Healthcare. And yeah, Canadians have been used to socialized medicine for uh, many, many decades. Ayn Rand wrote about the social socialization of medicine in Canada. It started in Saskatchewan. Um, and yeah, I'm going to go there and I'm going to, you know, I mean, my point, well, it's the same point in a sense, right? I mean, America is not as far, far along as Canada in terms of where you know how much government controls healthcare, you know the Canadians have socialized the system, but the point is the same. Canadian healthcare has so many problems. I mean, you have to wait so long to get certain care. You have, I mean, the quality is not good. There's long waiting lists. I mean, this is not a good system. People leave that system, come to America whenever they can to get better care. That, I mean, Canadians should not want to settle for that. And my point will be we've got to get the government out. You have to see how the government has caused this huge mess. And if you want good health care, if you want quality health care, and that should be the goal of all health reform efforts, you've got to start advocating for a free market. So we'll see how much success I have. <laughs> Excellent. Now, if people who, especially I have listeners from Canada, if they would like to support your effort to go to Canada and talk about these issues, where do they go? Oh, you know, that's a good question. Um, I'd say go on Facebook and search for um, – search. F I'm trying to think, actually. Maybe just go to AynRant.org and try to contact us through there, and we can get them that information if they do. I, I can't remember a website off the top of my head. Okay. I'll go ahead and try to get that information to people later in the broadcast as well. But I want to thank you for – joining us and and I'm going to recommend people go and check out your report again it's at pacificresearch.org I put the link to it on my show site for today so thank you Rita Parner for joining great, us great stuff uh, thank you thank you okay take care okay everyone so that was excellent yeah she, she was very 
Very good. Definitely. Especially about the bailout and the fascist uh, medicine. That's excellent. Whenever, whenever people can educate me on the use of language, and then also when you can benefit from research that they've done yeah, in exactly a specialized that. area that I haven't done as well. She's been but focused that's the on thing, this yeah. for a while now. She has. She's been specializing excellent. in this for a long time and uh, a very good speaker as well. So I'm glad that she was able to join us. So it's, it's depressing, though, because, I mean, she's basically convinced yeah. that we're going to get into well, single-payer systems. If, if nothing changes, 100%. Soon we, I want to have you know, Dr. Peter Laporte back and talk to him and see what his perspective yeah. is from the standpoint of a doctor who's yeah. actually in the system. Right. We do have another call, so we can go ahead and try and take it right now before we go on to another story. We've got about a half hour left. Hi, who's this? Hi, this is Tom. Tom, hi. Yeah, hi. Uh, I just wanted to mention a couple of things. Uh, one of the things you need to check out is the Lancaster care pathway because Lancaster care pathway okay yeah that's been taking place in England and the pathway is if the doctors think they're going to die within two months they cut off all fluids and let them die of dehydration and hospitals that meet their quota get bonuses and if they don't their bonuses are cut oh i think i've read about that okay and then what's what's the other thing we need to check out uh uh remember uh let's see uh in uh, honduras when the president uh was removed a few years back yeah i remember that uh One of the things I read that he was doing was demanding people sign his petition to change the law or he would deny them uh, government health care, single-payer government health care. Okay, interesting. So that's that's something else to check out. And I read uh, a few days ago that um, Obama is setting things up so that seniors – that get too much care from hospitals, the hospitals get their uh, government subsidies cut. Too much. This is all. This is all the stuff that we knew. We're probably it's going to come as part of single payer system. Right. So thanks for further depressing me, Tom. Uh-huh. I mean, yes, it's it's valuable information to have, but yeah, I think I've had enough. I'll put that clip. I think I've had enough for one day. Yeah, I think I definitely do want to put that clip. Let me see if I have. Oh, the other thing that I do want people to go look at, but I'm not going to go through it in any more detail now because I think we've talked about uh, Obamacare enough and socialized medicine enough, but it is a Cato commentary piece by Michael Tanner called Obamacare's Ugly Progress, and he talks specifically about what has happened with Obamacare so far, what a disaster it is, and he anticipates – which one here? Show me. The, the, The excerpt. That's a, that's a oh, yeah, this one here. It says, uh, no, yeah, and this was the whole point of it, is that he does not expect Obama to say much about Obamacare in his State of the Union address. Why? Because there isn't much good to say about his signature achievement. That's what Tanner exactly. says. And he talks about all the disasters so far with Obamacare. It's going to cost $2.7 trillion, and then it says that fewer of 11, fewer than 11% of uninsured Americans have gotten coverage because of the Obamacare law. Right. So that means mm-hmm. $2.7 trillion just to get 11% of the uninsured <laughs> insured. It is a total disaster. I think it's the one hopeful thing 
is that it is more of a disaster than they anticipated yes. it being this early yes. in the game. absolutely right. And so that maybe somebody is going to get some yes. sense beat into them. I don't know. But, yeah, let's let's talk about uh, another topic entirely. And, yeah, since we're skipping around, let's go ahead and skip around. Let's talk about something good and positive, which is Alex Epstein going out on Fox. He went on Stossel, and I guess it was just on last night, if I think that's right. And he talked about the fact that fossil fuels are not only not bad for mm-hmm. our environment, in fact, they are good for our environment. And, and he wears a T-shirt uh, out there. You know, he wears a T-shirt. Fossil yeah, he wears fuels. a T-shirt. I love fossil fuel. On the campuses, which gets a lot of attention. Clearly. Uh, very provocative to yeah. wear an I love fossil fuel <laughs> T-shirt on campus. Excellent that he does that. Yeah. But go ahead and, and then play this is, this is this the clip. ending of it. It's about three minutes long, but this right here is probably about 20, 30 seconds long. It's well worth it. He knocks it out, out of the park. Check it out. You got the footprint. So what's wrong with that? Well, two things. First Sorry, one of second. All. So the setup is that he, uh, John also shows a commercial from England about, uh, um, what is it, uh, global warming and how some animals are dying because of global warming and all that Everyone's kind of propaganda drowning. crap. Everyone's drowning. So then... <laughs> He asks uh, Alex. We're talking about it as about noble it. to use less energy. That's like saying it's noble to have less money. No, you might misuse energy. You might be inefficient, but more is always better because energy is the capacity to be productive. So that's a positive thing. So it should never be an ideal. Now, if they say, well, the fossil fuel industry, they're making our climate more dangerous, that's the other fallacy here because the story is the exact opposite of this little propaganda fairy tale. The fossil fuel industry is not taking a safe climate and making it dangerous. They're taking a dangerous climate and making it safe. And anyone who contradicts me should go outside right now and try to live naturally in harmony with nature. How old are you? <laughs> that was excellent. And uh, he's 33, by the way. It was just, to me, it was just a, a silly question at the end. He said something great. I guess he's trying to say, wow, you, you look so young, so you know yourself. It's just, it's just a great line. It just, it's, and it's, you know, it, it knocks them out. It really knocks does. Out, knocks out the rats. It really does. Just go right outside go with nature. and live in harmony with nature. Yeah, and you, you won't wake up if you fall asleep, but whatever. <laughs> I think it was excellent that he was doing that. I think he is having an effect I think so too. on the debate. And I would actually like to see him be invited on to one of the Sunday morning talk shows, right? Is Tapper the one that Ted Cruz did such a good job talking with on one of the Sunday talk shows, or is that somebody different? So somewhat different. George something or I can't don't, don't you remember that guy uh-huh. I don't, oh. anyway oh no 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 it was uh, the monkey face guy what's his name um, the guy on meet the press uh, Gregory uh, Gregory Gregory something Gregory okay 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 he's, he's a rat he's I'd, a snake I'd, I'd love and, to see Epstein and, uh, be grilled by him oh yeah because yeah. he, he would take him out and also Cruz knocked him out he actually made him move from his chair <laughs> he was like ah oh, because he, he threw him a, a fastball and Ted Cruz knocked it out of the park he was like damn it yeah. But but uh, Bastos actually really appreciated what Alex said. Oh no, of yeah. course, of course. But exactly. I'd, I'd like to see Epstein oh, definitely. go, go on oh, MSNBC, go, and CNN, go and all. You know, the pro, yeah. uh, the advocates of this crap. That would be great. That would be fun. That would be definitely fun to watch. So, talking about trying to educate and get ideas out there. Chuck Schumer is against you. Speaking. Up Chuck Schumer, as Michael Savage calls yeah. him. Up Chuck. Here's a story from Washington Free Beacon. Again, I have the links to all the stuff we're talking about at DontLetItGo.com. Schumer calls for using the IRS to curtail Tea Party activities. This is unbelievable. Senator Chuck Schumer, 
proposed using the IRS to curtail Tea Party Group funding during a speech on how to, quote, exploit and weaken the movement at the Center for American Progress on Thursday. This is just out of a bad movie or something. <laughs> Arguing that Tea Party groups have a financial advantage after the Supreme Court Citizen United decision. No, no, no. If, if, if the Tea Party groups have a financial advantage, it is because people are willingly giving money to Tea Party groups. Why? Because they realize that people like Chuck Schumer are raping them. Yes, and the whole subtext here is, oh man, we are in deep you-know-what come the 2014 elections. And we have to do everything we possibly can to try to step to, uh, to find me them. That's, that's the whole point here. They know they're, they're in deep, deep trouble. They don't know how deep it is. Come November, I think they'll find out. And it's not about us voting for Republicans. They know the deal here. They know that we want those rats out also, the, the, the Republicans as well. So I think there'll be a lot of challengers for, for, uh, against Republicans this time, Tea Party challengers to Republicans to try to get them out of, out of power. And he knows this. Up Chuck Schumer knows this. This, this year, I think, is really going to tell us a lot. But it will. It Schumer will. is obviously afraid because what he says. Oh, he's afraid. I mean, you know, Center for American Progress, my ass. Absolutely. Um, Schumer, speaking there, said that the Obama administration should bypass Congress. Hmm. I mean, Obama mm-hmm. likes yeah. doing this, right? You know, what the hell? He'll do bypass it, Congress, he'll do his, uh, initiate advice. new con- new campaign finance rules through the IRS. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. He says it is clear that we will not pass anything legislatively as long as the House of Representatives is in Republican control. Well, it, that's it, not exactly true, but no, no, it's not. You're right. It's Democrat control. Boehner is a Democrat statist who calls himself Republican. Yeah. And, and he says, but there are many things that can be done administratively by the IRS and other government agencies. We Unbe- must redouble those efforts immediately. And listen, okay, this is that's like the old says. competitor in business going to the government for help to wipe, to wipe out his competitor. This is exactly what he's saying here. Same well, prep. and this is the problem, right? This is a huge problem that there is so much that can be done, or at least on the face of it, they can pretend can be done through the IRS administrative rules. Because what happens? They Suppose they put in a rule that's clearly unconstitutional, horrible, disgusting, whatever. How long will it take to challenge that rule yep. in the courts? How much money and time yep. and effort? That's the whole point. So he's like, Stop look, them. we've got control of all the administrative yep. agencies. Hurt them. It just put a whole bunch of rolling logs in the road in front of these people Absolutely. who are trying to sprint towards the 2014 elections. Just, just rough them up a bit, you know? And they're not going to be able to do anything about it, probably, practically speaking, certainly not efficiently before the election's time. So you still put some obstacles in front of them. This is disgusting. No, that's the whole thing. He's like, I'll do my part. You do your part. We'll, we'll all just try to put these guys back because we want John Painter. No, they want John Boehner in power. They want Mitch McConnell in power. They want all the Republican rats in power because they're, they're toys. Yep, they are. They're, they're total puppets. He says, one of the great advantages the Tea Party has is the huge holes in our campaign finance laws created by the ill-advised decision of Citizens United, blah, blah, blah. He says, obviously, the Tea Party elites gained extraordinary influence by being able to funnel millions of dollars into campaigns with ads that distort the truth and attack government, end quote. Okay, jerk. So (laughs) you're upset because people willingly give their money (laughs) to the Tea Party. And not to you. Gee, I wonder why people give their money to the Tea Party, because they don't want to be raped by you and your ilk, which is what happens over and over and over again with Democrats and big government Republicans. Look, he's fighting on the the behalf of Democrats and Republicans here. 
his because Republicans have uh, they could have fought the IRS issue big time and they chose not to because they weren't going after Republicans they were going after Tea Partiers so they're like well you know they did our dirty work you know for us that's that's what they did because they haven't done anything the Republicans have not done anything against IRS going after Tea Partiers they haven't they have some hearings and BS talk and whatever they can give a rats you know what I mean the fact that the IRS was already improperly targeting Tea Party and related groups. And then now, he's calling for more of it. Yes. Blatantly calling for more of it. Look, they don't want to repeat of 2010. At a place called the Center for American Progress. 2010, they got gutted, the Democrats in Washington, and they they didn't want that to happen again. I mean, how does America make progress, according to Chuck Schumer and the Center for American Progress? America makes progress by preventing people from voluntarily contributing their own money. Yep. In a desperate attempt to, stop to guys get like the Schumer shackles also. off of them. To stop guys like Schumer <sighs> from, you know, wielding the power of us. This is revolsifying. Now we have... Sorry, a- you know, there, there's something going on here about the Tea Party and how religious they are. And how, please, that's the only hope we have presently, politically speaking. Tea Party candidates, the Tea Party, that's the only hope. Republicans and Democrats are lost. They're done. That's the only hope. So whatever you know, problems you have, religiously speaking, it's not, that's the only ones we have right now. And as long as they stick to what the purpose that they were, that they got together, they, they, didn't, get, they didn't get together over religion. They got together o- over monstrous government, government to push back against it, roll it back. That was the whole point of Tea right. Party. As long as they maintain that, I'm for them. Yeah, as, as long as they focus on the goals of limited government, limiting the scope of government intervention in our lives. They came together because of the end of Bush's term and the beginning of Obama's. That's why the Tea Party was born. It wasn't born out of, out of religion and social issues. It wasn't. We have to make sure we keep it that way. I mean, here's the kind of thing that we need to continue to focus on. Here's a story from the Americans for Tax Reform. Yankees pitcher to lose over half, over half, of a $155 million contract to taxes. And it says as a subhead, however sweet this $155 million deal seems, the reality is that Tanaka, who's a new player for Yankees, will lose almost $90 million over the seven-year life of his contract with the Yankees. My God. It says, as reported by ESPN, the New York Yankees have signed Masahiro Tanaka to a seven-year contract worth $155 million dollars which would earn him an estimated $22.1 million per year. According to ESPN, the contract is the largest ever for an international free agent, the fifth largest deal for a pitcher. However, this, you know, if you think this is a sweet deal, it says the reality is that he's going to lose almost $90 million. It says in addition to the Yankees, he was being courted by Arizona and Chicago. Unlike New York City, the cities of Phoenix and Chicago do not impose a city income tax. And you can bet that mm. city income tax is going to go up yes. under de Blasio. Of course. Right? This, this, uh, as Mark Levin calls him, de Camio. Yeah. If he, he, if he had gotten a similar contract with either the Diamondbacks or the Cubs, he would have saved almost $12 million. That's actually kind of pitiful, it though, is. too. Absolutely you think, okay, he, right. He should save a lot more. But, <laughs> exactly but still, right. $12 million is a hell of a lot yes, but of, still. Of, uh, of money. But, like, I mean, they, that you know, just they, shows you, We'll right? rape you less in that state. Come on. Come here. We'll rape you less. Imagine if there was no state taxes. You're absolutely right. I mean, that's ridiculous. It's insane. 
anyway, that's the kind of thing that I want the tea party to focus on, that here you are, you are producing a tremendous value for people. People love to watch you. You have a team willing to pay you $155 million, and you get to enjoy less than half of it due to the amount that is taken from you at the point of gun. And people talked last, you know, I was, I was talking about when I was guest hosting Tammy Bruce show, people said, no, it's not slavery. It's not slavery. This is slavery, is. okay? All is. the time and the effort that he puts in for which he earns the $155 million. He has to give, has to give up to the government for what? He, For what? You, you think he's paying this because he loves to out of the goodness of his heart or whatever? No, he's doing it because he goes to jail otherwise, and, and that's it. Hi, who's this? Hi, Amy and Bosch. It's Robert. Hey, Robert. Hey, Robert. How are you? So so you're going to get this good pitcher, but the pitcher's going to give all his money to taxes. Hot, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that's the price okay. they pay. Yep. And it's, you know, unfortunately, they're counting on the name recognition of the Yankees and mm-hmm. all of the additional commercial value that goes with that, you know, the marketing. But so, you know, that's how they'll justify the money that he will have taken from him. But mm-hmm. we know that that's not true. He deserves every penny of that. And it's mm-hmm. just uh, very unfortunate. So is that what you called up to talk about, this particular tax burden? That no, had? I just want to say that, yeah, the two things I really liked was, you know, the health care topic. Uh, as Bosch said, I really I love that term, uh, fascist yeah. medicine, especially right. if we describe what it, what it is the way that she right. did. And, uh, oh, boy, what was the other one? That, uh, uh, the other the, point. the bailout um, term. Yeah, on on the ballots, clarifying that. Yeah, that was just really informative, Excellent. and I'm happy that uh, you guys played that Alex Epstein bit as well. Uh, oh, he, he's a one man wrecking crew for for, uh, yeah. for the anti frackers, for the anti fossil fuels. So um, yes. we need more of that. Oh yeah. Oh yeah, we definitely need more of that. I I would like to do the kind of things that he's doing about energy with respect to privacy. Yeah. Because and, and you know I'm doing I'm doing little bits I'm getting more involved in the privacy scholars community and and stuff like that mm-hmm. but I I want to go out and do a, quite a bit more of it of course first I have to get myself healthy mm-hmm. <laughs> I, yeah the the one can I just m- mention one thing about what what he's doing he it's a per, it's kind of a perfect storm for Alex because he has energy companies which are tremendously profitable. And they're tremendously hated for all the wrong reasons. And he found a way to to kind of, first of all, find out the truth that they should be profitable. They should earn. They earn every penny that they get. But to to give them moral high ground and show that it, it's proper to to they should be proud of that uh, yeah. uh, of creating energy that that sustains life and, and enhances life. And so for other, sadly for other, I don't know, even privacy, nobody who has a lot of money care, you know, well, I can't say they don't care about privacy, but they're not big on that. There should be, you know, Google should be big on privacy. But Well, I mean, think, of, think about this, though. I'm, I'm actually thinking that the fact that people are upset about the revelations yeah. by Snowden, right, that they're unhappy right. with their, their metadata being yeah, collected is going to make something like this dark mail potentially very very profitable yeah i i you know i i hope so i definitely hope so and i I guess uh, you know i'll 
I'll follow that through for you. I, I, I can see a parallel. I guess I just meant in Alex's case, there's already a built-in, uh, you know, oil energy companies are there's so they have so much wealth. No, you know, no, no. And, there's, and, there's, there's a huge difference. There's a huge difference because mm-hmm. every, every single person, if they're going to admit it, you know, I, I, again, I love that line that he used at the end about just go out there and try to live mm-hmm. in harmony with nature. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Every, every single person needs energy in order to live. Uh, that, right. that, that's, that's on the physical level. Yeah. But there's a whole ton of people who don't give a crap about privacy. They don't care at all. And so, yeah, I think that it's something that has a potentially very large market, but not nearly as big as the energy Mm -hmm. market. Because, you know, the energy market is inevitable, whereas the privacy market is a matter of choice. And I think a lot of people, a lot of people are making lousy choices with respect to their privacy these days. So. Yeah. No, I I I agree. Well, good luck. Uh, Let's we, we applaud your efforts and let's. Let's make that happen. Let's yeah. definitely make privacy an issue. Uh, unfortunately, I just totally assume everything I say and do is completely captured and monitored by yeah. somebody somewhere, and that's the world I live in. I, I, I really don't want to consider myself a cynic, but that's that's the way I look at things right now. I hear you. Yeah, we, what we've got to do is we've got to do something about that, definitely. Yeah, mm-hmm. Thanks, Robert, yeah. for calling. And okay, thank you, guys. Bye-bye. Good to hear you, Robert. Good, yeah, good to hear you. We're going to talk about a couple more things before the show is over. I can't believe how quickly it goes. That was that was really fun to have Rita Parna on. Uh, Michelle Obama has a hero, and her name is uh, Jane Fonda, which is why I made a <laughs> I made this one graphic. I put Michelle Obama's face over Jane Fonda. I called it uh, Hanoi Michelle. It's on my blog. Of course, of course, she would be her hero, a traitor. Of course, she would. Of course, she would. Of course, she would. Of course, she would. Yeah. Let's talk about a story that has been being circulated a bit, and some people are of mixed mind about it. I have a couple of things to say about it. It is Dinesh D'Souza being brought up on the violation of campaign finance laws. Isn't it, you know, interesting that Chuck Schumer was just Mm -hmm. talking about, you know, oh, the Tea Party, you know, Republicans, they have such advantage. And this guy made a high-profile movie against Obama, which is, I think, second most profitable documentary, I think, in history after Michael Moore, which is huge, and everyone knew about that. So they got him on this thing, which I guess on on the technicality, yeah, it's illegal. But uh, uh, John Edwards, um, one of his uh, donors, was it, uh, got off on um, on this t- same type of thing, but got off easy. Misdemeanor, a, right? A, a misdemeanor, misdemeanor charge, exactly. Right? So, so this uh, is a misdemeanor charge according to the Obama administration and the, 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 the Obama justice uh, uh, underholder. But um, under this, they probably they'll probably try to get the two years in jail that he's supposed to be jailed for. As of today, it says he's going to be arrested in New York uh, for allegedly violating campaign finance laws. He was arrested. And and, uh, and he was arrested yes. now? Okay. I think it was yesterday, actually. Just probably a day before. This says he will be arrested yeah. on Friday. So oh, okay. who okay. knows? I, supposedly it's supposed to be today. Yeah, okay. They accused D'Souza of donating more than is legal to the campaign of Wendy Long, who ran in 2012 for the U.S. Senate seat vacated by Hillary Clinton, but lost to now you know, Senator Kirsten Gilbrand. Now, see, that's interesting. Gilbrand, yes. Gilbrand. So it was lost, but nonetheless, they're still going after him. They're going after him because of the movie. 100%. And and, and so I see a parallel (laughs) argument here, right? Because 
everybody was debating about what's his name? Nakula, uh, Nakula. Yeah, Nakula, Nakula. That, okay, the, the, you know. The, the Muhammad movie guy he, who supposedly his movie caused Benghazi BS, but go on. He violated some laws. Yeah. He was on parole. He violated his parole, blah, blah, blah. There's so many people out there who violate these laws and they never do anything this about guy, it. That guy went after Islam, paid a price for it on something else. This guy went after Obama, he's paying a price for it on something else. This is Obama. This is Obama behind this. Right. And anyone who thinks differently, oh, that's that, that's far fetched. No, that's Obama. Well, and they wanted something on this guy, and on a technicality, they got him. They got him. So Robert NYC here in yeah. the chat room over at Blog Talk Radio says, "Yeah, it doesn't like D'Souza." No, but not at all. Obama's 2016 was very well yeah. done. He's obviously you know being targeted. If you yeah. knew nothing about Obama going in, yeah, it was very effective. But us going in, we knew more or less the whole movie. I mean, you you know it. It's just it was a good reminder to, to people who haven't paid attention, and a good people who didn't pay any attention. But uh, that was clearly something that got under his craw, and I think even he even uh, mentioned it. Obama mentioned the film a year or two ago in in a dismissive tone. Oh so gosh. they've been looking for this guy for a while now, probably two years, and they finally got something. Well, and to me, this case is more egregious than even the case of Nakuda Nakula. Nakula. Although yeah. I don't know, it's it's really hard to say, right? Because yeah. the blaming Benghazi yeah. on but blaming Nakula the murder is, of four Americans yeah. is, is egregious. Um, but we don't know the content so much of the laws that Nikula was in violation of right. for his, you know, that, right. why was he on probation? Why did he, you know, what what were those laws? They might have, I think they were bank fraud. So, they were actually real yes. charges against him. Right. So he had actually done some wrong things. He was in a situation where people like him violate probation terms all the time and they're never brought in like he was so clearly it was because of this film the film was blamed erroneously for this horrible thing that our government didn't do which is they didn't save four americans in benghazi consciously right cold-bloodedly so it's kind of hard to compare the two cases but what is true for sure in this case is that the law that he supposedly violated is a completely immoral law yes this law should not exist. You should be able... And I'm not sure if it does now. I think they said 2012, it did when he was actually doing oh that. Oh, my yeah, God. That's yes. even worse. Now, I want to I confirm that, but I believe that that, that is so the that, case here. So that law was made inoperative because of so. the Citizens United? Probably. Okay. Probably. Which is something that, that they cannot stand. Uh, you ever seen Obama as angry that was, as, that as was, when that was overturned? You know, I mean, just watch Obama. Look what gets him really angry, and look what he can give a rat's ass about. The the uh, the the Fort Hood. Remember that? Give a shout out to this to that. He doesn't he doesn't care. But if it, if it's a law that somehow stops them from doing what they want to do, that is the end all be all. That's the end of the world for them. So I think that's the case. But I do want to confirm that if if anyone knows out there, because I read a little uh, it was a little I think a paragraph or two somewhere uh, about that. It just, it just, the news just hit yesterday. It was, it was a short news item on the, on the uh, one of the, uh, one of the, yeah, the, how, how the reporter. I guess they expanded it today. Did, I guess they yeah, have. Yeah, a longer version. I guess they have. <sighs> so yeah, so this guy is being uh, probably railroaded uh, for an immoral law that might not be active today, but it was back then, and therefore he has to pay a, a two-year in jail price, possibly. People should be able to donate whatever Anything. amount of money they want. They want to give their life savings to they, they a candidate. That candidate. I mean, we have seen time and again the old 
argument that, oh my gosh, if people are allowed to spend whatever they want on an election, then they have an unfair advantage and blah, 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 blah. I have seen so many well-heeled politicians in California. Who was the guy who had been married to, what's her name from Ariana Huffington? Oh, yeah. um, The who? And he was a senatorial or governor candidate. He was a guy who became... He came out as a homosexual, and, she, right, but and the, then she turned completely left after she I, actually was a Rand fan. He was Wacky. he was a candidate who spent a pile of money on his campaign. Then there was the woman who was a tech CEO. Yeah, the and, Megan. Uh, and she, she ran for governor. She ran for governor, yeah, and Megan, she spent a pile yeah, of money, and she yeah, still lost. Yes, yes, she did. I mean, it is so ridiculous. It is ridiculous to, to let, try to cap. let let people spend their money. I That's mean, it. we are in a place where we should allow the marketplace of ideas to determine this. So all of this is garbage. And I, you know, the, the idea of even having legislation that mm-hmm. regulates how much money you should spend, I think is horrible. It's even worse when someone like Schumer comes in and oh, says, man. Oh, forget legislation. Let's just have some administrative rulings yeah. that are going to create some bumps in the road for the tea party groups. And ah, they're not going to be able to do anything about it before the 2014 election. The only, anyway, yeah, the good luck good, challenging it in the court. The, the only thing good about the reality of the story is uh, how scared it is. I mean, that's, that's a good sign, and he ought to be scared. And if things go well, we'll knock out some of these rat Republicans and put some Tea Party guys in there yep. and really start making some changes and go after Obama, finally. Hopefully. We'll see. We'll, you know, we'll see. I, I honestly don't know what's going to happen, especially when Schumer yeah. is openly Open. calling for this. And, and we, not getting and we, know, by and we know that Obama has said, I've got a pen, I've got a phone, yeah. right? He's going to do whatever he can to put obstacles in his in the you know the opponent's way. Anybody who opposes his egalitarian agenda, yep. anybody who opposes the type of candidates that would implement his egalitarian and, agenda, uh, he's going to go. And Obama after. Will, will get more dangerous as the years go on. I mean, he will get more dangerous because well, he'll be cornered. And this is why. I mean, in a way, I think they're giving a lot of publicity now to D'Souza's film. But the whole idea is, if they don't do something good at the 2014 election. Yeah. If we don't then he's gonna, stop him. Oh, yeah. He will be more dangerous than ever. He's got two years. When he knows if, his if power he, is about to be wiped out, it's, he's going to, he's going to, I don't know. We'll see. Vicious. He's going to be very vicious, like a mad dog at that point. Yeah. Two, two years as a lame duck yeah, president. Exactly. He's going to be like a cornered dog. If he has majorities in the House and the Senate, we're toast. Yep. We're just toast. And, you know, leave it to the Republicans to make us worried about, about them winning. But that's the whole point. You've got to get the rats out. You've got to get Boehner, Cantor, McCarthy, McConnell. Get these rats out and let them defect to the Democrat Party, which is where they belong anyway. Right. Do it. Go for it. Get out. Let's talk about one pleasant thing on the cultural axis before the show's over, because we only have a couple of minutes here. It is that Turner Classic Movies, if you have Turner Classic Movies, you could check it out tonight. They are saluting, as Scott Holleran put it, the men of the mind, but as they put it, they are saluting brilliant inventors this evening. They're going to have a sequence of three movies that they're showing, 8 p.m., Edison the Man, 10 p.m., the Magic Box, and then 12 a.m. It happens every spring, and nice. they say they say if you could invent anything, what would you invent? Tonight we spend time with brilliant inventors. Hmm. Very cool. So I would say kudos to them for realizing the value of our brilliant yeah. inventors, and just another congratulations to Apple. I would say for 30 no years, doubt. 
of the Macintosh. They just keep making it better and better and better. And the latest one, which, again, I haven't looked too closely at because I'm just drooling, <laughs> they've got their new, I guess it's Mac Pro, the desktop unit that's a, also it's the, like a black cylinder shape. It's right. Also the iPad cool. Air. I can't wait just to hold it, just, just to feel it. I haven't felt it yet at the store to, to, to pick it up. It's, it's a lot lighter than... than uh, you know, once you pick it up, the next step <laughs> is that right. your credit card has a huge... <laughs> that's right. So that's what happens. You, you just touch it. Oh, I feel lighter. Everyone, we got to go now, but if you want to make a comment on this show, continue the discussion, go to don'tletitgo.com. I want to thank everybody here at Blog Talk Radio and for the people for calling in. Robert, thank, thanks again to Rita Parnabasu for calling us from the Ayn Rand Institute and educating us today. So have a good weekend, everyone, and we will talk to you next week. Thanks, everyone. Take care.